Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of the Kuehl Podcast. I am your host today, the insider of the insiders, Tyler Kuehl, and we have us a wonderful show planned here today by we, I mean me. Alex is right now out with, let's just say, an upper body injury right now. We'll go with that. We'll give you the hockey lingo for that. But if you want to know more on why he's hurt, use the hashtag the Kuehl Podcast asking us how he's hurt. Maybe he'll respond. Tweeting us at the Kuehl Podcast. Maybe it'll get him to coax and come out and tell us what's really wrong with him. But nonetheless, I am here to help you out and give you all the good news of what happened this past week. We have big injuries for teams. We have big hits. We have big streaks. We have big news. And we have what in the world are the Leafs doing right now? Well, I can tell you what they're doing right now. They are up one nothing on the Capitals. Yes, we are recording once again, by we, I mean, I keep saying we. I'm so used to having the two of us, but I am recording on October the 29th, and they're playing the Capitals right now. I believe it's only one of two games they have this week, and they're trying to come off that loss against Montreal on Saturday night in the Bell Center. We'll get to the Leafs later on, because I have a lot of things I need to say about this hockey club, as I'm sure you always have heard before. Of course, I think the last week we had one. We had a pretty good doozy as well. Of course, that was during the Boston game. Thankfully, we we stopped recording before the, the Bruins took over and won the game. So, because that would have been a pretty pretty long episode. But let's get to the, some of the news from today. First, big news out of Smashville: Broadway is going to keep their captain, Roman Yossi, signing a, an eight-year, nine million per extension. This contract will kick in next season. He's currently getting paid $4 million, and he got that over seven years. He signed that back in 2013. And at the time, yeah, Yossi was playing second fiddle to Shea Weber when that contract came out. So it was pretty apparent why, and that why it was only $4 million. And don't forget, that was right after A, Ryan Suter left, and B, Shea Weber, his offer from Philadelphia, his RFA offer, offer sheet, had to be matched by the Predators. So... David Poyle was pretty, pretty strict on the limit he was going. But one of the big points, and by the way, it's actually $9.059 million. Yeah, 5.9, because Roman Yossi's 5.9. Apparently, that's the thing now. Apparently, that's the deal. Everyone wants their, everyone wants their number in the contract. Of course, Matthews is 11.634. Marners is, you know, 10.93 and all that, or 8.93 and stuff like that, whatever. So, Yossi's sticking with the trend. But the bigger point to, in looking at this contract, is that David Poyle signed Roman Yossi. Resigned Roman Yossi. The big thing about it is that all nine years, all eight years, excuse me, are all full no-move clauses. And really, that's really unheard of for a, a David Poyle contract signing. He usually doesn't do that. And that's just because he wants his players to know that they are disposable, I guess. I guess that's the, the motivating factor. But looking at it, like, looking at all their big players, I'm using capfriendly.com for all of my numbers, of course, as everyone else should. If you're trying to figure out who 
has these kind of contracts with the Predators right now? Who has these kind of contracts? Ryan Ellis does not have a no-move clause. Of course, as we all know, P.K. Subban did not have a no-move clause. Matthias Ekholm doesn't have one. Philip Forsberg doesn't have one. Kyle Turson. Matt Duchesne was probably the first big signing. Now, yes, Pecorines is, an, is a, I believe, is it a modified no-trade clause? Let me quick look here. I believe it's a modified. It is a 35-and-up contract. And yes, both uh, this year and next year are both modified no-trade, no-move clauses. Whereas Ryan's, or whereas Roman Yossi's is for all eight years. Going back to Matt Duchesne, that was really the first one that was a player. Pecorini, you know, I mean, they had to sign him because he is their starting goaltender. Now, yes, UC Saros is the goaltender of the future, but as for now, Pecorini is still the guy, which is why you sign him to a deal. And if you want, the idea was that they get him on the short term, and I'm sure Pecorini wanted longer term, but I'm pretty sure David Poyle, oh, geez, they just scored. John Carlson just scored for the Capitals. Anyways, back to the Predators. Pecorini, I believe, wanted a longer contract, and David Poyle saw the writing on the wall that his game was going on the decline, and they didn't want to offer him that, which is fine. So Pecorini said, well, if you're going to give me two years, trust me, you know, give me a reason that to believe that you're not going to trade me. Well, two years, you know, full no-trade clause, that's a pretty good, or modified no-trade clause, that's a pretty uh, pretty substantial evidence that say, well, we can't trade you now. So, and back to Pecorini's no-trade clause, his details are he submits a 10-team trade list, so he can only be traded to 10 teams. But back to Duchesne's, Duchesne, his first four years of the contract of the seven-year deal that he signed in the offseason on July 1st, he is in modified no-trade clause for the last three. So the 23-24, 24-25, 25-26 seasons, where Duchesne actually only submits a seven-team no-trade list. So it gives David Poyle room to obviously trade Duchesne if he needed to at that time. The first four years, it's you know free will. But now signing this one with the OC, this one's probably a respect, respectable move. By that I mean he's been with the team, he wants to stay, and he's willing to stay at all costs, whether it means, you know, forcing David Poyle out of his, you know, out of his usual comfort zone of contract negotiations. That's what it means. And Yossi is Yossi's not, I mean, let's Let's make no bones about it. He's not, you know, 15 years old. He's not a young kid in this league. He is 29, so yes, by year eight, he'll be a little old on the older side, especially the way this game is trending. So you like the fact that, yes, you're going to keep your captain. He's a very important player on this club. He can still produce. And, yes, the last few years will be an interesting go for him, Okay. Uh, we we that's un, that is understandable, but the thing is, is that when you've been with a team so long, you want to be respected for what it is. And by the way, Roman Yossi's contract, the way it breaks down is kind of interesting. He's making seven hundred fifty grand the first two years, but he makes he has an eleven million dollars signing bonus, and then a ten million dollar after that. 
and then 8.75, and then four the first four years. The last four years of the contract, no signing bonus. But of course, don't forget that is after the possible lockout. And the last year of his contract, he'll be making $7 million because he's got to make up for all the money that he's making. But AAV is 9.059. That's really the only ma- number that matters. And since the UFA number, it really doesn't matter because only RFA numbers matter for the final year of the contract. So, but good for Nashville, keeping their captain, keeping him in play. How will it go? We don't know. The future is done. I'm sure if you said eight years ago, that the Carolina Hurricanes would be in the conference finals, you'd laugh. Or said that even last year, people would laugh. If you said eight years ago the Toronto Maple Leafs were going to be a competitive hockey club, well, people would still laugh. And even today, people still laugh. Other news around the league some injury talk, some pretty big injury talk here. First of all, we got to mention in Colorado, Miko Ranson, already week to week, which is for the best, comparing, you know, com- the fact that he bent his ankle the wrong direction. Now, Gabriel Landeskog. Two of the top three players, forwards that is, on the Avalanche, actually top three players overall, let's be honest, are out. Branton in week to week. Now, Gabriel Landeskog out indefinitely with a lower body injury. He played in the game on Saturday, skated Monday, I guess, or Sunday, I guess the team was off on Monday, and something wasn't feeling right, and they Evaluated Landeskog, and apparently uh, not good. Not good, said the team doctors. So, obviously, the what the injury is has not been disclosed. Obviously, the exact time frame, with that being indefinitely, not disclosed either. However, it is not good. Now you're going to look at Nathan McKinnon as the guy. Now, this is going to mean Andre Barakovsky is going to have to step up. Nazem Kadri is going to have to play a bigger role. Now, yes, Nazem Kadri will still be a second-line center, but... He's going to have to be expected now to produce more. You know, it'll be interesting to see who they bring up from the Colorado Eagles. But, I mean, you're looking at this hockey club now, and you're wondering who really is going to be the player to step up. Like I said, you have, I mean, Jonas Donskoy, who you brought over in the offseason. JT Comfort is going to have a huge role. He's going to, I don't know if he's going to jump to the top line, but there is word that Jared Bednar is going to have to do that, given the circumstances. You know, we're going to see a lot of Matt Calvert, even though, let's be honest, what does he have really left? I mean, Tyson Joseph's in a contract year in his ELC. He may get some minutes in the th- on the third line. So there's going to be a lot of shuffling right now with the Avalanche. And for a team that has started off so hot, to have all of a sudden be a question mark without two of their top players is mind-blowing. I mean, I mean it's, not, it's, it's not unexpected. I can't say that. But with a team that is as good as the Avalanche have been, currently they're 8-2-1 and one through 11 games. I'm not sure. Do they play tonight? Let me take a quick look at the calendar. They do not play tonight. They play... I'm trying to find the schedule here. They play tomorrow night against the Panthers, which, hey... Panthers won last or yesterday. They may have a chance. They won their last game. Even though the Panthers are... I mean, they're, they're currently sitting third in the Atlantic, but they've shown at times that they just can't be a good hockey club. But, of course, it's so early, you really can't look at... Yeah, you can't... I don't want to... I hate looking at the standings at this time of year, you know? It, it's... It's such an odd time. Like, I always say... 
Thanksgiving, American Thanksgiving is the time you should start looking because that's a good idea where you want to go or from where the teams are going to be in. Now, I'm not counting New Jersey out right now because, <laughs> uh, yes, New Jersey is 2-5-2 two, and two and at the bottom of everything. They are battling with Los Angeles and Minnesota for that lottery pick, and it's not even a month into the season. But I'm interested to see what, how it shapes up here. Because it's, it's, I don't say it's wild, but right now, if you are looking at the standings, you would be, if you went into the season and said, all right, here's the standings, because you remember our picks, you know, we picked Washington to probably win the Metro and who knows with everywhere else, but the Metro looks pretty simple. Washington Islanders, Carolina. Okay. You thought Carolina was going to take a dip, but Hey, they're there. But then Buffalo, Boston, Florida. All right. Like I know how we talk about how bad the Leafs are, but Tampa's below the Leafs. Granted, Tampa's played three less games, so that would have been a lot different. And that's why right now is such an odd time. But then you go to the Central. Colorado leading. Well, that wasn't really expected. You expect them to play better, but Colorado, Nashville, St. Louis. You expect Nashville and St. Louis to be there. Pacific. Who expected Edmonton to be at the top? Who expects them to be at the top much longer? Now, those are two different questions. That may be the same answer, though, but two very different questions. And the way the Edmonton are playing, who knows? Vegas, second, that looks legit. Arizona, third. Now, wait a second. (laughs) Now, yes, Arizona did actually beat Buffalo in a battle of the juggernauts. (laughs) They beat them in a shootout yesterday in Buffalo. And it's it's a chuckle for me because if you you talk to Alex and I when we did our predictions on who's going to be where, who thought that... Arizona and Buffalo is going to be a marquee matchup. Nobody, really. I mean, I expected Buffalo to be... I said Buffalo may be good for a little bit, but they'll be bad again. Arizona, I don't know if you can ride Darcy Kemper for that long. But yesterday was a great hockey game. The overtime was fun to watch. Jack Eichel's just sniping bombs on his birthday. No big deal. So... Right now, it's an interesting time looking at the standings, but you're seeing trends in certain teams. You're watching Colorado and just how they can control the play and how, how good Philip Grubauer's been. I know we knocked on him and said, is he really a starting goaltender? Was last year just a fluke? So far, so good, okay? I mean, let's give it some time, obviously, because I thought Carter Hutton was going to be a Vesta candidate goaltender last season. We all know how that worked out. Is Tampa going to be this bad for this long? Come on, guys, let's go here. Look at that lineup. And I said... I said it, and I'm pretty sure I'm going to say it every episode. I mentioned the Tampa Bay Lightning. The Tampa Bay Lightning were great last year, but they are not this year. Everyone talks about how the Wings in 95-96 were the best team in the league. You know, they put up 62 wins, best team of all time pretty much, and then lost to Colorado in the conference finals. So if you're curious to know how the next season went, how much of a drop they took. In total, in that 95-96 season, the Wings finished with 131 points. The closest team that year was the Philadelphia Flyers, who had 100, and excuse me, the Colorado Avalanche, who had 104, excuse me. The next year, they dropped to 94 points. Do the math, folks. That is 27 points. They dropped 27 points. 
and they won the Stanley Cup. Now, would it have been different had Curtis Joseph not stole the Dallas Stars' lunch from them? And, I mean, let's be honest, the Colorado series was still looked at as one of the best series of the rivalry compared to, I would say, maybe, maybe the 90... The 96 series, obviously, is still the best one. It's like a movie. The sequels can be good and they can hold up, but the 96 series is what made it the great rivalry. But anyway, sorry, back to Tampa. Tampa's going to take a dip. No, I'm not sure they're going to drop 27 points. I'm not going to say that, but they may not be the best team. Now, granted, Detroit finished second in the Central Division that year behind Dallas, but you got to expect that there'll be some tough, and you have to, it's better to lose now. That's why, that's what every team says. It, it's all, I mean, it's cliche, but it's better to lose now than it is to lose later. Tampa didn't lose last year, okay? But they're losing now. And you need to go through some adversity if you want to be a Stanley Cup champion. And with what they're going through now, It'll make them a better team later. Same thing may go with the Toronto Maple Leafs. I don't know, but Tampa, you can see the talent. And you're one and if you wonder how bad they are, don't. Don't worry about how bad the how bad the Lightning are doing right now. If you really think that that team is going to do that badly, if you think they're going to be a wild card team, I'm going to say I'm you're sorely mistaken. I wouldn't panic. I'm I'm really telling Tampa Bay fans, not to panic. I know it's dumb for me because I know that everyone's like, "Oh my gosh, it's horrible." No, just everyone's gonna have to relax. It's gonna be a it's gonna be a tough stretch, but it'll be for the better for the Tampa Bay Lightning. And Jake Muzzin's going off the ice for the Toronto Maple Leafs. That's good news. Oh boy! Like I said, we'll get to the Leafs later on this episode. Some little bit of uh, small news. Calgary Flames. Tobias Reed was put on waivers yesterday. He clears, so he could be optioned down to Stockton. And Toby Reeder was a pretty interesting story. He was a kind of a depth role player. Just didn't quite work out. But we should talk about some big news. Austin Zernick is injured once again, and... This time he has been placed on LR. It just sounds like long-term IR, which is rough for Zarnick. Austin Zarnick, he's he's been playing well this year, and he's been a guy that's been kind of hovering around the lineup. Hasn't been a player that puts up an astronomical amount of points. I get that, but you know I like the way he plays. He plays a plays a tough game but not, you know, extremely physical. And he's a guy that goes in the corners hard. He plays. He's been playing a much better game this year. Yeah, he's only put up three points in his eight games that he's played, but you could tell he's taken that step. And it sounds like a lower body injury was the cause of it. He left the game Thursday against Florida. Nobody knows what exactly it is, what's wrong with him. But that's just how, the, that's just how hockey works, you know. And it's it's a it's an unfortunate aspect of the sport. You can be having a really good run, you can be playing well, things can be at the highest of highs, and the next thing you know, bang, you know, you 
take a you know, hit on the wrong side of the leg, you block a shot on the inside of your foot, you know, you get put in the boards awkwardly, you get hit high in the head. It's just, it's so, the game is so fast, the game, anything can happen any second, a stick can catch in the, Brian Berard, that there's a great example of a player who had so much promise. I'm not saying Hall of Fame worthy caliber player, but he could have been a great aspect for the Leafs for a long time. Accident, stick up, there you go. He, yeah, he did come back, I get it, but it's not the same. Dan Blackburn, promising young goaltender, was looking good for the Rangers, had nerve damage in his shoulder and couldn't squeeze his hand, tried to do it with two blockers. Played a couple games after that, but still didn't work. And it's you just hope this doesn't affect him long term. You know, you hope he comes back because he's the kind of a guy that right now the Flames need. You know, you have some you have some pests, you have some salt with Matthew Kachuk, but you can't have your star player going around like that. And, you know, Zarnik getting in there playing some good minutes on the bottom six is what the Flames need. They need depth. You have Monahan, you have Gaudreau, you have Bennett. I get that, but you need more than that in having players that can play big minutes on the bottom end and produce and, you know, really actually make an impact. That's important. So big loss for them and a big loss on Saturday against the Jets. Heritage Classic in Regina, Saskatchewan. I find it kind of odd that the Rough Riders still played on that same night. The Saskatchewan Rough Riders, they won in a last-second field goal on Saturday night. They're on the road, of course, duh. And then, of course... I don't know. Would it be a Jets? People, it's not like there were more Jets fans than Flames fans in Regina on Saturday night. I could have been wrong. I wasn't there at the rink. I get it. But when the Jets scored, it seemed pretty, pretty big, uh, pretty big ovation, pretty big crowd applause for audience for that one. And Brian Little got the game-winning goal in overtime. I believe. Trying to think off the top of my head. I believe it's only the third. Third game. Okay, I'm going to try to go through them now. Let's see. Marco Sturm in the 2010 Winter Classic winning for Boston. Austin Matthews winning it for the Leafs in the Centennial Classic. I can't think of anything for the Stadium Series. I don't think any of those went to overtime. Sidney Crosby in the first one in the shootout. And Brian Little in overtime. That's four. I think those are the only four that actually were game-winning goal. Well, I guess went to overtime. Here, hold on, I'm going to quick look this up here because this was something I wasn't going to plan like getting into here. I am just curious to see, because a lot of the game there were some pretty one-sided games, and there were some pretty pretty entertaining games, pretty close ones, but I don't know many that went to overtime. Let me take a look here. Gosh, it shows as much as I know about it. I looked in, first of all, I totally forgot Tyler Bozak's shootout winner. In 2014, completely forgot about that. I forgot that the Rangers beat the Sabres in the Winter Classic in 2018. Remember the one that seemed like nobody watched. And then last year in the Stadium Series, Pittsburgh beat Philadelphia 4-3 to in overtime. So that's actually makes it seven games have gone 
into overtime, which is, I mean, that's good. I mean, <laughs> hey, it, it makes it more entertaining for the fans having, yeah, I get it. It's a lot more entertain. It's a lot more entertaining to get free hockey. Now, yes, it's cold, which is why all the Heritage Classic games are now played. They're always played in October or November or later on in the year, like the Heritage Classic. Well, the outdoor game that was in Vancouver in the BC place in the Dome, that was played in March because they knew it was not going to be as cold. Because they play that game in January up in Edmonton or Saskatchewan. Mother of goodness. The, the ice would crack. The ice wouldn't stand a chance. It would be awful. But, yeah, I mean, it was a good game. The snow, of course, was everywhere. And, you know, I mean, it was, it was winter. It's winter up there. I remember my buddy, Richie Hubble, was posting pictures on Facebook the other day. He was posting, in, or not the other day, excuse me, like early this month, like first week of October, pictures of two or three feet of snow outside his house. It's Calgary. It's out, It's northern Alberta. It's, you know, Canada. It's the prairies. And this time of year, it snows. It's just how the weather is up there. And which made the game, of course, fun. It was a great visual. Jim Houston and Craig Simpson, though, calling the games alongside the boards. I I saw the, them talking about it. I'm sitting there. I'm like, how? I get it. You're probably watching. You can probably see some of it right in front of you. They were in. It would have been which zone was it? It would have been the zone that the jet that the flame shot on twice. But there were monitors, of course. So they're pretty much what they were doing was calling it like it was like a wrestling match, you know, on the the Monday Night Raw set that they sit on top of the stage or whatever, and they have to kind of look at monitors to see what's going down in the ring. But that's just how it is. But having a hockey game do it, that's uh, that's a little tough. I've because I've called games where I've been pretty close to the glass and I can tell you right now and I've called games that are way up top let me tell you I prefer to have the wider view because you see a lot more stuff going behind the play I've called games between the benches and let me tell you if you ever want to know how hard it is to cover a mic between benches it's not easy because for example we were doing a game last year my Thomas Biano and I, a friend of the show, we were doing a game at Kentwood. And it's not directly in between the benches. It's elevated up. It's up on a ladder. And so you can like videotape and whatever, stuff like that. And it was cool for us because you're right there. You're right in between the benches. You can see everything that's going on. And you can still see the rink completely. And it's a it's a great view. But the problem was that the, the, the Panthers were down and they, you know, their coach called timeout, Coach Phil Sweeney. And boy, did he, he was saying some words. And I remember I literally started talking. And when Thomas wasn't talking, he saw it too. I turned off his mic because he was closer to the bench than I was. And he understood it because we went to, I went to intermission and commercial break. And I told him like, I'm sorry, I just had to do that. And he's like, that's fine. There were things that could not be said. But kind of going back here to the Heritage Classic, it was an entertaining game. Yeah, it's only 1-1, but that was still a fun game to watch. I'm, And it was close. It was a tight battle. Yeah, it wasn't clean, but when has ever an outdoor game been fantastically clean hockey? It's not. It's not supposed to be. So they do the old school rules. You know, they, you know, mom's calling him for dinner. Next goal wins. Brian Little with the game-winning goal. But the big takeaway from this game, the big, 
I, I can't say highlight, but what the the talk is about this game, the noteworthy event that happened during play. End of the second period. In the Jet zone, which would be in the flame zone at this point. Adam Lowry decides to brain Oliver Clinton or Killington. Right at the end of the period, Adam Lowry goes in the corner. Killington, numbers are showing. Name is showing. Back is turned. You can see his derriere in the air. Lowry goes in there and brains him. Face first in the glass. Dave Riddick has to go over and protect him because, of course, massive melee happens. And it sounds like, I mean, Killington was able to get up under his own power. I haven't heard anything more on it, but the big news is Adam Lowry, two games for the hit. And Adam Lowry does have a history. So this is where my issue comes with all of this. With a player that has history, a hit to the head should be more than two games. Boarding should be more than two games. Put the two together, that's four games. I can math, guys. I went to public school and I can math. Hell, if you want to double it, it's still four games. The point of the matter is that this is ridiculous, guys. He clearly went to the boards. He saw him. And there are people that, and literally, and I was listening to Hockey Central, and people were, there are words coming out of other people's mouths that I, mouth is, okay, I know I write, guys, but I don't write well, okay? I don't write good, all right? But people were actually saying that, you know, the conditions were weird, and he may have hit a rut in the ice, and bull! You shouldn't be going that hard in the corner. I don't understand why players still today, unless you're literally just trying to send like some stupid message. In that case, go kick rocks and go play in the coast. Go play in the Fed if you want to do stupid stuff like that. If you see numbers, same football, numbers are only one side of the sweater. If you see the big numbers on the back, hold up. Grab them and pin them to the boards. That's fine. The refs will like that. They'll let it go. If your rapping army tries to go, then yes, it's a holding call. But if you wrap the arms and put them up against the boards for a good second or so, that's fine. You don't go barreling in there and try to clean his clock. The fact that it's only two games, oh, because of weather conditions. Weather conditions are not Lowry. Put that game inside the saddle dome. Put it in the MTS Bell Center. Guess what? Lowry's making that hit. Oh, especially in Winnipeg. Absolutely. Home crowd there. Oh, he's going in hard. Absolutely. You know what he's doing. He knew what he was doing. And it's just embarrassing to know that they're actually going to, the league's going to, I don't want to say let him walk. Because obviously they're, they're spending him two games. That's a good slap on the wrist, right? No. A slap on the wrist for a hit like this is unnecessary. They should be chained to a wall and pinned for their sins or something like that. I don't know. But it should be more. I don't know exact number. But two games for possibly giving a player a concussion for an unnecessary hit for a stupid play is asinine. I don't understand why the league continuously thinks this. And I listened to George Peros talk on the radio about this. And, you know, he wants to make sure he's doing a good job. He's very smart. The man went to Princeton. He has a brain. I mean, I don't know how many punches in the head he took, you know, to figure it out, but 
I just, I don't, what makes him think that this is an okay play? Is he, was he trying not to look like a hypocrite because people would know he'd do something like that in, in his playing days? Listen, Brendan Shanahan used to stick guys in the head and he was a much better player, much better head of player safety than this. And people knew what Brendan Shanahan did. Shoot, he was in the punch-up Piastani. He once almost jumped into the crowd with, with the Devils. I don't get why the NHL is still allowing these guys to run the player safety department thinking that, oh, since we have a tough guy in there, he'll know what to do because he experienced it. No, because clearly Peros is scared to make a bat, to make a, a solid and respectable decision. He is scared that he's going to be judged because, well, George, you did this in your playing days. I don't know why you're suspending us for this. That's literally, he's scared because of what people will think. That's not your job. Your job is to penalize the offending players. If Lowry did a wrong, which he's done before, you penalize him, and you penalize him for being a repeat offender. You don't sit there and think, well, you know, know, the snow could have gotten his eyes, or he could have hit it right in the eyes. Bull watch the play again. He went in there. If you hit the rut in the ice when you're gliding in, guess what? You fall into his back or something like that. You don't hit him. I'd like to see. That's why I like the transparency of the Brandon Shanahan days, or even shortly while after that when they were still showing the videos. They don't show videos. They just write. They just give written reports on it. They just give. Well, he did this, so we got to give him two games. Or you know, this guy had a dangerous trip, so we find him two thousand dollars. Yeah, two thousand dollars of a seven hundred thousand dollar contract. Kick rocks, dude. Come on, seriously. This is embarrassing. This is the league that I watch all the time. And I get it. Worse stuff happens in the coast because of lack of video and stuff like that and lack in you know, the SPHL and the Fed. And I, get, I get it. But this is the top league in the world, and this is happening. The KHL, I'd get it if it happened there. German League, I'd get it if it happened there because you know what? It's, no, it's those leagues. That's how they work. But this is the quote-unquote Premier League in the sport of hockey. And they have monkeys running the show. I don't understand why consistently you see these decisions. I shouldn't be surprised anymore. That's, you know what? It's my fault. NHL, you're right. It's my fault. Because I actually expect something. I actually expect you to make the right call, make the right decision. God forbid. I get it. I should be happy because, hey, hockey's on and, you know, the best players are playing and, and it's great. And look at these highlights. Oh, the game's beautiful. Yeah, the game's beautiful. And guess what happens? This. This is what we get. And the league backs it because, well, they still pay George Peros' salary and all the Department of Player Safety. They, they pay for all their salaries. It's embarrassing. But you know what? What else are we going to watch? I mean, college hockey's having some good games, you know? I mean, there's plenty of action, good hockey. We'll get, I mean, we're going to get Harrison Watt on the show here. Maybe a couple other college hockey people. Maybe we should just become a college hockey podcast. Yeah. Because nothing ever goes wrong there, right? Right. It's all just a good, clean college game. That's okay. I'm, I'm lying. I'm not, that's not, that's not true at all. And Chris Johnson just tweeted that Jake Muzzin is done for the night because of a leg injury. Well, at least there's some transparency with that. At least he's saying it's a leg injury. It's not just lower body. 
I just, this league, it's a wonderful league, everyone. We love to watch it. We cheer for our clubs. We cheer for our teams. We hope for the best, our team to win the cup. And we completely ignore the fact that this league is a joke. Unfortunately, it's a joke. It's not a joke all the time. It's not a joke majority of the time. I get that. But it's these big, egregious errors of judgment. The NHL, in player safety decision-making, or decision-making for any matter, is how Jake Gardner is playing defense. He may do a lot of little good things. He may make you feel good, make a good first pass, get a couple points here and there, get a goal. But then he makes a big, bad, egregious turnover and it costs and leaves the game. And everyone loses their minds over it. And we'd yell and scream about it, of course. Just, just like the NHL. Hey, NHL, hey, look at all these great players. These fantastic hockey games. Hey, parody, it's great. Carolina's doing well. Woo, the Islanders are coming back. Woo! All that fun stuff. Vegas, great story. But then they make one bad decision like giving Adam Lowry two games or giving Tom Wilson or limiting his suspension or cutting it down or whatever, and we lose our minds. Eventually it'll be figured out, you know. Eventually they'll figure it out. They'll get a right guy in there, and uh, the player safety will actually be protecting the players, not giving them slap on the wrist for possible brain damage attempts. Anyways, moving on from that, because let's be honest, I could probably ramble about this for another four hours. I could probably go through every decision the NHL has ever gotten wrong, or at least in my eyes has ever gotten wrong. But we should move on to some good, be- some better news, some gooder news, yes. Yes, I'd get paid to be a broadcaster, folks. Not on this, of course, absolutely not. But we got to talk about the New York Islanders. You know, there was a lot of talk about the Rangers and how they were going to do, how they're going to be better. Same thing with the Devils and maybe Buffalo. But of all the teams that appear on your Madison Square Garden network, MSG network, the New York Islanders have by far been the best of the tri-state area. He is, the Islanders, Barry Trotz has, has done something magnificent, okay? Last year, they had a club that, you know what, had started off a little sluggishly, but, you know, Robin Leonard's game picked up, and Thomas Grice returned to form, Matthew Barzell was putting up big points. This team was starting to figure out how to play good hockey, and they went into the playoffs with a lot of steam. They smoked the Penguins. Yeah, they got smoked by Carolina, but they were a team that was competitive. They were good, and Barry Trotz won the Jack Adams Award. You know, this team was playing some pretty darn good hockey. And it's carried over to this year. This team continues. They're looking better, almost. And it's it's incredible because, I mean, my goodness. I mean, Semyon Varlamov looks like an NHL goaltender. And yes, Thomas Grice is playing pretty good. He's 4-1 with a 2-1-8 goals against and a 9-3-1 save percentage. Better the two numbers than Semyon Varlamov, but... Varlamov, you know, two five three goals against average and a nine one eight save percentage. Yeah, it's about league average, but compared to how he's been the last couple seasons, you know, you know, I give that a win. I give, I mean, that's a solid start for Varlamov. I he was the guy that I was the reason why I said, listen, the Islanders are taking a dip. There's no question about it, because I felt that Trotz was going to give him the go call. He was going to be the guy. They both have four wins right now, but. There's improvement with Varlamov. There's improvement 
all up and down the lineup. And, I mean, it certainly helps that, that Brock Nelson's playing good hockey. It helps that Brock Nelson's playing pretty good. Now, let's, let's be frank about it. 10 points in 11 games, not too shabby. Matthew Barzell, five goals, four assists in 11 games, not too shabby. I mean, Devin Taves, he's got eight points coming from the back end in 11 games. Then he's got a plus minus of one in Barzell. He's a, Barzell has turned into a, an exceptional two-way player. Now, yes, plus minus is great because when you're scoring goals, but he's plus seven. And he's playing a lot bigger minutes. Yeah, he's still got to work on his face-offs. I get that. He's under, I mean, he's under 50%, but I believe, what, this is his third year, correct? He's still young. I mean, that that is a part of his game he can develop. But right now, he's learned, he's learned how to score in the league consistently. That's a big one. He's learned how to play defense in this league as a center. That's a big one. He continues to progress and get better, and he was already good when he first came into the league. The fact that he's just going to get better and better and better is scary. And you like to see how this team is playing up and down the lineup. They're not allowing goals. They're not allowing teams to score goals. They have a plus seven goal differential, which right now is third in the Metro behind Pittsburgh and Carolina. That's just because Carolina just doesn't give up a goal because Peter Morazic and well, mainly Peter Morazic has just not given up anything. And James Reimer's done well, I get that. But this team, who started off pretty sluggishly, everyone, I mean, they started off 1-3, and three, and everyone's like, yep, see, guys, what did I tell you? Islanders taking a dip. And then they win seven in a row. And it's not like this team has been just, you know, playing a bunch of schmucks. I mean, let's kind of go backwards here. They beat Philly on Sunday. Which, yeah, they should beat them. They should beat Ottawa. They played a good Arizona hockey club. They eked out a win against Columbus. They beat Winnipeg. They beat the Blues. They even beat the... Or they lost... Their last loss, excuse me, came against the Hurricanes. Since then, seven straight. They lost to the Oilers, which is right now, I mean... Which, listen, their, their three losses are... Washington, Edmonton, Carolina. Right now, playoff teams. Right now, teams that are playing some pretty darn good hockey. I mean, let's be honest. I talked about the Metro being wild, and it slowly turned into a three-ish team battle, three-four team battle, because of the lack of the Devils. And, you know, Philly may be there, but, you know, Columbus has really surprised me. But the Islanders, it's a, it's so weird because, yeah, you see Barry Trotz and you see a system. You saw how well it worked, and even though the majority of the team remained, you just thought they were not going to be able to resume this. I don't say this fairy tale because they didn't make it all the way to the finals or anything like that or even the conference finals, but a team that gave up so many goals the couple of years previous and then all of a sudden become one of the best teams in the league, it's hard to fathom how they're able to consistently do it. But then you watch their games and you think, wow, this team is a dominant hockey club. So will they be able to stay consistent with it? I don't know. They don't play any games the rest of this month. They have a back-to-back against two really tough Atlantic opponents. Remember, and I yes, I know I talked about the Lightning and how they're not in a playoff spot right now, but they get them on Friday in Nassau. 
so they have they have the home ice advantage. And then they have they travel just upstate to go take on Buffalo. On a back-to-back. So, yes, you're playing. So you have to go to Buffalo on a Saturday night. That'll not be an easy game. I get it. MSG is trying to figure out who they should send out there because, my goodness. I, I don't know. Folks in the Tri-State area, do they have the separate broadcast teams since it's technically a local game? Or do they just have one MSG crew? Because I'm curious. I never thought about that because, I mean, they all work for the same network and – Sure, you know, you know the Rangers have their guys, Devils have their guys, Islanders, Sabres, so on and so forth. But do they, for if they're on the same network and they're playing the team that's on the same network, do they have like, you know, catch the Sabres feed on MSG Plus and catch the Islanders on MSG Two? How does that work? I, I'm I'm interested. But nonetheless, oh, I'm looking at their schedule. November the thirteenth. The Snake, I don't know. Actually, I don't know if Tavares will be back by then. He may be back by then. He's Remember, he's got the broken broken hand, broken finger, broken appendages. He may be back by then, which means he'll get booed out of the building. Not as much as that first night. Not as much as that first game between the Leafs and the Islanders at Nassau. It's only perfect, though, that both those games were at Nassau. If they were at Barclays Center, I think Tavares would have gotten out of Dodge. But the fact they're able to play at Nassau just made it so much worse, which made it so much better to watch. I mean, I know as a Leafs fan, yeah, the Leafs got kicked up and down the ice, but the fact that, I mean, I just love when fans get, that's why Nassau is so great because the fans are A, so passionate, and B, just outstanding of how loud and how opinionated they are. You know, that's what makes it so much fun to watch. Right now, Islanders on a tear. They do go they, the second week of November. They play all their games at Barclays. They kind of like flip on and off, which I still think is dumb. They should move in to Nassau fully. I know, I know. yes, the plant, the Belmont Park rink is going to be built, but I think they should move to Nassau full-time, unless something else is going on to have them play at Barclays. But I think they should stay at Nassau. It would be a lot better. Couple last things to talk about here. Number one, Saturday headlines. I know people in the states don't get it, but I am able to find a way to watch the Leafs on Saturday night, hockey night in Canada. I also know that like to watch the Habs, watch the Senators, other teams that are playing on like CTV or whatever. The hockey night in Canada feeds. I make sure I get a chance to watch those because the second period is. But yeah, you get Coach's Corner in the first intermission where Don gives his now rumbling, nonsensical opinion. And there's probably people who are like, what do you mean? It's been nonsensical and rambling forever. Well, yeah, but it's it's worse now because he's getting older. <laughs> his voice is, it's not as clean as it used to be. At least you'd be able to understand him from like the early 2000s and the 90s. But now it's just, hey. But regarding the second intermission, you know, it used to be hot stove, and it had Pierre LeBron, and it had, yeah, it had Glenn Healy and Kelly Rudy, which were kind of interesting, but they talked about big news. They'd always talk about the big stuff, hot stove. So now I just call it Saturday Headlines. Since Rogers bought it, they called it Saturday Headlines. And every week, they just drop bombs, you know? Like for this past week, Chris Johnson, CJ, he talks about 
how the players there's you know there's an there's an overseas game coming up here, which is where the NHL apparently will start to they will start talking with the PA regarding the Olympics in 2022. You know that's kind of big news because well that's been pretty quiet. They just kind of and they of course they talked in spades about the Ottawa Arena situation. And Saturday, first topic, the first thing LA Freeman usually you end on one to kind of give like whoa like leave him in the break. Elliot Friedman, right off the hop, women's hockey news. All right, I'm interested because, listen, I want what he's about to say to happen. Friedman goes out right out of the blue. I'm not, I can't play it because, obviously, rights and stuff. But he says that while Gary Bettman has admittedly consistently said on record that he will not jump to any women's league while the NWHL is in progress, and, of course, the Pro Women's Hockey Association is having their barnstorming tour coming up here. I know one game's in Chicago. I'll see what day is that on because I, w- I do want to go check that out because it's it's the best players in the world. If the NWHL tells you any different, they're wrong. I'm sorry. That's just the truth and the long and the short of it. I, now, don't get me wrong. I'm not going to – this may sound hypocritical. I don't care if it does, but I will say that I do follow NWHL teams because I follow women's hockey. But – I want the players to do well. I don't want, I don't like how the league is running. So I like to see all the good news and, you know, the following that it's getting. It's great. But I want it to be better. That's why when Elliot Friedman came out and said that there are talks, he didn't specify who, of course, because Frege, always a good insider, said that the league was looking, they were starting to make a plan for when the time is right to create a women's league. He gave some details a little bit that it's probably going to be a six-team league, similar to how, you know, the the original six, that's really not the original six, if you actually know your history. They're going to have something like that. Of course, two teams in Canada. Will it be like, I, I don't know, I don't think it'll be just like the original six where it'll be New York, Chicago, Detroit, Boston, Montreal, Toronto. You'll probably get Toronto and Montreal just because. You'll probably keep a team in Boston they've been working out probably have a team in new york i don't know about chicago but minnesota probably minnesota and buffalo because those are the other minnesota and buffalo of all the nwhl teams are the teams that seem like in in boston too but i I think the blades of the cwhl were getting a lot more that even when they moved to worcester they were getting a lot more exposure but i like how like Minnesota, there's the fan. They're, they're packing the rink every night. Now, yes, I get it. They're not playing the big barns. I understand that. Respectfully, I understand that. Trust me, I, I get it. The, the WNBA doesn't do it. Listen, nobody knew that the Washington Mystics won the WNBA championship, okay? Which, which is wrong. It's dumb. But that's just because it's been tough for them. And I don't know if... The he didn't Elliot did not describe how the season would work if it would work like the WNBA where they play in the summer, where they would play in the NHL's off season. But I think that'd be that'd be beneficial because give people hockey year round, and which would be great for us because we could follow it. We'd be able to actually talk about something in the summertime. How crazy would that be? We wouldn't have to make up stuff like angry August and talk about one signing for three weeks after July first. But obviously, 
like I said, it may not happen while the NWHL is in operation. But because Gary Bettman doesn't want to buy out the NWHL. He doesn't want to do that. He sounds like he's going to, I don't want to say he's going to let them fail, but he's going to let them go. And with that, I don't know. See, it's tough because you want the best for women's hockey. So you're almost thinking, at least what I'm kind of using my brain wrapping around here is, is Gary going to let this team, let this league kind of figure it out a little bit and then maybe jump in for a financial, you know, not to take over, but to see if it'll sink or swim? It is the only league now. All the attention's on it, obviously, or lack thereof. Obviously, there's no Canadian following, which, yes, NWHL is going to hate to hear this, but that's a huge loss of viewership. The CWHL is a big point. And John Carlson just scored again. My goodness. It's 2-1 Capitals now. Back to women's hockey. It's an important aspect to have a Canadian following because let's be honest, guys. Let's be honest here. This and you if anyone says this sounds biased, look for yourself. Do the numbers yourself. Canadian fans care about women's hockey more than American fans do. Don't you dare tell me any different. I get it. The game, the game of hockey itself, people are losing interest in, in Canada. The numbers are actually going back per year on how many players there are. Trust me, I, I was in Lucknow. Lucknow and Ripley were huge rivals. They never crossed paths. Now the minor, minor hockey teams have to. A lot of the local league teams have to, play with, have to play with kids from Ripley and kids from Lucknow and vice versa. You know, they, that's what they have to do. But... If you're going to look at me in the eye and tell me that women's hockey in the United States, the NWHL, was getting more exposure than the CWHL, you're out of your damn mind. The CWHL was getting national TV time. The NWHL, with the exception of Kendall Coyne doing one lap around the rink at the All-Star Weekend, has not gotten any of that. Yes, they have a big deal with Twitch. Absolutely. That's awesome. Great. That's big that's big news. Because now they're getting every game streamed. And it sounds like they're doing well with it, you know. But I don't want people to think that this league, this NWHL, is doing fantastic. They are not a superb league. Which is why I think the WNHL needs to happen, or whatever they're going to call it. But once the NHL steps in and says, hey, we can take care of this from here, whether you buy out the NWHL, whether you let it die, my problem is this. The NWHL, unless they somehow run into a financial bind like that, where they have to fold like next season, this could go on for three years, guys. Listen, I keep saying, the time is now for this. The peak interest is now. You can't wait three years. One of the famous story, famous cinematic stories of all time is that the movie Jaws, which some, a lot of people don't know, is based on a book. The reason why Steven Spielberg almost rushed to have that movie done, even though it's been a blockbuster and cinematic masterpiece, 
he rushed to have it done because he was afraid that they were going to lose interest in the book, or interest in the story. So, to see it from that angle, to understand that women's hockey is at its peak popularity right now, more than it's ever been, more than the first ever women's hockey Olympic Games, more than the 2010 Olympics in Canada, more than even last year in the or the last Olympics in that you know stinking shootout. The point is the fact that the time is now for something like this. They need to do something. Something needs to happen because there is a great, great opportunity to get a women's league and get the best players back on the ice and give them what they deserve. It needs to happen now. I don't know if it can happen in the season. I don't know if they, if they you know, they went to the end of the NWHL season if they could try to pull it off in one summer. I don't think that's how it could work. The WHA tried that, and boy, that league was a complete and utter financial disaster. Entertaining, but a disaster. So it'd probably have to be announced a year in advance. But it needs to happen soon. Let's put it this way. How great would it be? You're going... Think, all right, so here's a hypothetical scenario here. It's 2021. You're at the Seattle expansion draft. People are going crazy because they're probably at the NHL awards as well. The NHL, everyone's everyone looking big eyes. Hey, award winners, honoring the best in the game and picking the Seattle, whatever, the Sockeyes, Kraken, whatever. Totems, whatever you want to call them. I don't care. Don't care what the name is. As long as it's not like something completely dumb like, you know, the Golden Knights. Imagine if all of a sudden at the end of the at the end of the ceremonies, the team has been announced. They bring out the Sockeyes. Gary Bettman comes out, gets booed on on just completely horribly. And out walks Somebody. I don't. I don't want to name names because I don't. I don't know what would happen. Who it would be? But imagine this: Gary Benton walks out with another person by his side. Person that people may recognize. People may not know at all. Ladies and gentlemen, it's been a wonderful night. And so this is what Gary Benton says. All right, he walks up. Ladies and gentlemen, as he shakes his head, of course, this has been a wonderful evening here. In Seattle, the reception from you fans has been outstanding. We are so excited to have hockey here in the city of Seattle. With that, we have some news. Starting in the spring of 2022, we will introduce the Women's National Hockey League. Oh, it, the place would go bonkers. The place would go nuts. And then the best part would be when they don't ana- announce a Seattle team. They'll, they'll announce like the 60, or maybe they just announce the league and announce the teams later. That's probably what they would do. But imagine like the, it'd be the most non-hockey thing to happen. But wouldn't it be awesome? Like 
after all the greatness that happens on a night like that, and then end it with some big news, boom, Women's League, game-changing. Now, yes, that's in about you know less than two years. I get it. But, man, it'd be something, eh? It would be something. I want it. I want there to be an actual league. And that's not just me coming, oh, man, he's just trying to jump on the bandwagon and try to seem like a point for women's hockey. No, women's hockey is amazing. I'll be honest. You know, the last, yeah, I get it, the 2018 and 2010 Olympic gold medal games ended in overtime, which was a big deal. But look at how consistently good the, I guess, I get it, the U.S. gold medal game or the Olympic gold medal games have been U.S. and Canada. But look how good they've been. Look how entertaining they have been. And tell me that it is not entertaining to watch. They're not fun to watch. Imagine that, but every single, like every, for a game for uh, maybe a 50, 60 games, I don't know how, much, how many games they play, 50 games maybe, 60 games, who cares? Imagine that for an entire season. Oh, yes, the Olympics are a best-on-best best tournament. You would have, obviously, some, you know, some smaller lineups and some lesser players on their respective teams. But still, you'd see it more often than every four years or every spring in the World Championships. Now, yes, it would be weird. You'd have to you would have to start the season either after the world champion. You'd have to start after the world championships, or you'd have to play. You that's that's why I think the WNBA works so well is that it's not during the NHL season or the NBA season. WNBA works because it doesn't compete because there be there would not be enough airtime. So that's why you'd have to start in the after the world championships. And it would have to be like a three-month, three- or four-month season. It would not be able to be as long. And since the double, the World Championships usually go in May, pretty much for the entire month of May, if they could bump it back, I think that would be beneficial. Have it in April, you know, have it start of the first week of April, I think that would be great. And I think, and you know, it's I know the double IHF and the NHL have not seen eye to eye in a lot of things, but I think the double IHF could respect that. Cause then you're looking at starting a season in like the first week of June and then having to go to what September. So you're looking at an ending before October. Yeah. You, you try You're going to try to figure that out. There's pro, there, there's gotta be lots of talk about that because you want to have, you don't want to have them compete. And obviously you can't start the league in April and then stop for a month, you know? Because, A, then you're competing with the playoffs. Now, yes, I say that, and everyone's like, well, if you want to you know, start the season in May, you're competing with the playoffs. I get it, but, I mean, that's just how it's... But at least you're, you're starting the regular season. So unless you really started, like, in the middle of June, I, I don't know. Like I said, this is the reason why the NHL is trying to figure it out. Because right now, I'm, my brain's getting twisted on how it's going to work. But... That said, last thing I'm going to talk about here in today's show before I let you guys go is the team I'm watching over to my right. They're down 2-1 with 6.25 left in the second period to the Washington Capitals. Yes, folks, it is time to talk about the Toronto Maple Leafs. And if you're still listening after I said all that, thank you. And you, we're going to, we have some things to talk about. Now, yes, the Leafs right now are not playing like the Leafs we all expect, a dominating hockey club, scoring nine goals every night and blah, blah, blah. The team has started 
six, five, and two in their first 13 games, 14 points, which has them, yes, sitting in a wild card spot. Has them tied with Pittsburgh and Florida in the Eastern Conference. And, you know, a couple of the, the points people are talking about is it the backup goaltender? No. If you watched that game, Toronto Montreal, you understood that Michael Hutchinson did everything he did. Yes, you want him to make one of those breakaway saves on Duran, I get it. You want him to make a big two on one save, I get it. The best goaltenders do it. But that's not the goaltender's job, the backup goaltender's job, to make the highlight real saves. His job is to give his team a chance to win. And by golly, he did that on Saturday night. Why was Duran getting two breakaways? Why was he getting? <laughs> Kelly must have, Kelly heard me. She's, she's like, I don't know. You tell me. I don't know why the Leafs allowed so many breakaways. Well, it's probably because they're bad defensively. Yes. they There is weak on the Yes, they got Travis Dermott back in the lineup here tonight. So that's big for this team going forward. So maybe Cody Cease will get less minutes. I hope, but probably not with Mike Babcock in the helm. But is it the penalty kill? Yeah, it's not that good. They're allowing a lot of goals. John Carlson's second goal was on the power play. But what is it? Is it Freddie? No, it's not Freddie. Freddie's looking okay. Is it Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner? Oh, yeah, they've gone on a cold spell, but they're still scoring. I mean, Matthews made a good defensive play, which we'll get, I mean, we'll kind of get to that here in a second, but the biggest problem with this hockey club and I'm going to use Kobe Armstrong here. I was going to kind of mention maybe a little bit later on, but I think it's a good way to kind of move into what I'm going to talk about here. Kobe Armstrong went on Hockey Central today with Jeff Merrick and Anthony Stewart. He said, the problem with the Leafs is that this team shows no emotion. And they don't look like a team. They don't look like a, a guy guys that will go to war for each other they don't look like a team that shows emotion. They just go in and play the game, and that's it. So with that said, let's go back to Friday night's game. San Jose. Leafs won 4-1. Good story, right? But then Dylan did the thing and hit Austin Matthews upside the head. Headshot. Nothing. Didn't get anything, any supplementary discipline because of it, which takes me back to my point earlier from the show where I say this league is stupid. Even though, yes, I want to work in it one day. All right, I, I don't, I don't get it either. Just, just it, I know it's a hypocritic statement. Just let it go. Let's let it ride. All right. But Dylan hits the star player on the Toronto Maple Leafs, and who goes after him? We've been waiting four days to figure it out. Nobody's going after Dylan yet. Let's go to Saturday night. Leafs and Habs, rivalry game in Montreal. Jeff Petrie hits Tyson Berry coming across the middle. Pretty high up, too. Sent Berry spinning. Austin Matthews is right there. Austin Matthews, who did come back in the game against San Jose, cleared protocol, according to the team doctors. Skated right by Jeff Petrie. Petrie was looking at Matthews to see if he was actually going to do something. 
Because Jeff Petrie knows, as I've talked about before on the show, when a big hit happens to a star player, whether it be legal, illegal, clean, whatever, dirty, someone's going to come up and step up and say hello. Matthews had an opportunity for a slash, a punch, an approach, something, and didn't do anything. And that guy's supposed to be a leader on this hockey club. And I I forget exactly what, if it was before the Montreal game or after the Montreal game. Reporters asked Mike Babcock and a presser asking, would you like someone to step up and take initiative or take offense to their star player getting hit? And literally, Mike Babcock, Mike Babcock, the admiral of this carrier, the admiral of the ship, said, and excuse me, didn't say, asked who's going to do it. When the coach, who for some reason is supposed to be in charge of who plays and who doesn't, literally looks at you and says, Who is going to fight? I get it. Yes, he wanted a guy like Ron Hainsey, which doesn't make any sense. He pretty much, I mean, he loved Roman Polak. He loved Roman Polak. And I get it. Roman Polak was not good October through March. But April and spring Polak, there's a guy you go in a foxhole with. That boy would fight for anyone on his team. Dallas, you're so lucky. And I hope he's getting better after that really hard injury, hard hit he took the first weekend of the season. I hope he's doing better because, man, he's a guy that Dallas has got to love. But the problem with this team is, is that there is no toughness. Give me a player the exception that is not named Jake Muzzin, that is a tough hockey player. That is a physically, possibly possibly physically dominant hockey player. Someone that shows physicality. Andreas Janssen's a great hockey player. I love him. He gets in the corners. He's willing to go in the dirty areas. He works hard. He does all that stuff you hear in post-game pressers, which is great. He's not physically imposing. He's fast. He gets in the way. He kind of annoys you. He's not going to hurt you. Casper Kapanen, the same way. He'll get in the corners. He'll throw his shoulder in there. He'll try to work you off the puck. He'll annoy you. Zach Hyman, same way. He'll get in there. He'll try to get your stick between the legs. Not, not like a cup check, but he'll tie you up. He'll put you hard on the boards. He'll outwork you. But now if Jake Muzzin's out, who's on the team? Hyman's still, we don't know when Hyman's going to come back. Who's going to do it? Riley? CeCe? So your top pair? No, of course not. Matthews? Psh. That boy looked like he'd never been in a fight in his life. I could say a lot of other things too, but I'm not going to. William Nylander, I'm pretty sure, has been in more confrontations than Austin Matthews has. And, and William Nylander, as, as Graves would say, William Nylander, of course, doesn't like the bang and the rough stuff. He's only this high. If you remember the famous Matt Snazlin bit from Hockey Night in Canada back in the 80s. I mean, McKay big, but he doesn't show physicality. Freddie Gauthier is not that physical, despite being six foot five, six foot six. Alex Kerfoot's probably the most physical imposing, and but yeah, he's getting penalties every single game, so he doesn't have any time to do anything on the ice. 
Now, I'm not saying go back to the days when we had Fraser McLaren and Colton Orr fighting the entire Habs roster, but something's got to change. And this is where, and I get what I get what Matt Martin lacked compared to the rest of the team. But I I kind of go back to where it works for the Flames. I know the Flames aren't doing as hot as they were last year, no pun intended. But Lucic helps because he can protect the younger players. And Martin was that way too. And yes, Martin, I know, he got thrown to the Wolves in the last part of his last year with the Leafs. He didn't play. I get it. Would he have been a factor in the Boston series? I, I, I don't know. Maybe. We never know because Babcock didn't play him. And would it have been better for the Leafs had he been in that lineup? Maybe because you had something, someone more than Nazem Kadri, who got himself kicked out in the first game, everyone remembers. Or second game, excuse me. But the thing is that I, I look at... It's so dumb because everyone remembers how great that first game was against Boston. Between the Leafs and the Bruins in last year's playoffs. Where the Leafs dominated the Bruins. Next game, what happens? David Backus, Chris Wagner get put in the lineup. Boy, did they make the Leafs miserable. Hitting every second. Pounding them. There is not a player on this Leafs team that does it. There is not a player on this Leafs team that is physically imposing. The Leafs are going to be a great hockey team 10 years from now. Because eventually, maybe the league will do something like this, where they'll eventually become all speed, no hitting. Maybe. Just maybe. Because all these kids that are coming up through the ranks, they don't want to play a physical game. So eventually, yeah, it'll come to it. But right now, it's a man's game. And the Leafs are just a bunch of boys out of the GTHL. It's literally what it looks like. I'm serious. I, I don't understand it. I get it. That was the knock all last year. Team needs to be bigger. Need to be tougher, whatever. And, I, and I'll admit, I did say, I'm like, you know what? This Leafs team is talented enough. They can outscore teams. But... We are starting to see why having a tougher team helps. Ryan Reeves is not a talented hockey player, but the Kings are doing pretty all right with him in the lineup almost every night. And the Leafs just scored. Okay. Austin Matthews. Hey, look at that. Look at that mustache. It still looks like garbage. Yes, I know. Leafs scored. Oh, everything's better now, right? Tyler, you're going to stop talking about Nope. Not going to give up. Because you want to know why? Leafs could win 45 games this season, close to 50, get 100 and some points, make the playoffs. They'll meet Boston in the first round again, and guess what will happen? Anyone ever seen the movie Deja Vu? They'll lose again. The, the, the Toronto Maple Leafs are to the Boston Bruins as the Brooklyn Dodgers were to the New York Yankees. You want this team to learn. But when everyone, like, say something, if, if Babs is just, into this point, ignoring anything, everything, because obviously, I get it, Kyle Dubas is not going to put together a goon squad. He will not bring in players that are slow and not his style. I understand that. Okay? I get it. But you cannot look me in the eye and tell me that this Leafs team is going to be a formidable force if nobody's scared of them. Honestly, look at this team right now. They have talent. Great. They have speed. Awesome. 
Where's the grit? Hyman? And why aren't they sticking up for each other? You're telling me nobody on the ice could have stood up for Matthews. Nobody on the ice could have stood up for Tyson, for Tyson Berry. What's going to happen when Freddie gets ran over? Because teams clearly, they just saw this past weekend, that they can pick on the Leafs. They can throw high hits. They can go after their star players. This may, I may sound like a guy that's walking around with a cane right now and a horrible-looking gray beard, but this team needs to get tougher somehow. It's ridiculous. How can you be a team that is feared if opponents realize all they have to do is throw a couple of hard hits? My goodness, that Minnesota game, all Matthew Dumba had to do is throw one solid hip check and the Leafs would be rattled the rest of the night and shoot, Minnesota could have won that game. Can you imagine when the Leafs play St. Louis one more time? I get it. They did. They held their own for the most part. But could you imagine if St. Louis was in top playoff form? Oh, my goodness. Leafs wouldn't stand a chance. They go to St. Louis the next time they play against each other, too. So not a chance. 5 nothing Blues. Calling it now. You can just put it on the board. They caught San Jose the second half of a back-to-back. That's probably the only reason why that game was – that's why the Leafs dominated. I, I just – I don't know. I don't get what this, what's wrong with this hockey club, where the malfunction is. I, I hope Dubas is smart enough to realize that. He can't be oblivious and say, we're going to believe in the process and this team's going to work and we're going to figure out ways to win games and fight through this and blah, blah. Freak. Oh, just shut up, Dubas. Your analytics will not help when your team is getting kicked in the teeth physically. When your team's getting beaten and battered, hard in the corners, your star players are getting hit and nothing's happening Nothing's getting done anything about it. Nothing's, nobody's standing up for your star players. There's going to be no reprieve. It's going to look like this for the rest of the season. Shoot, Tom Wilson. Goes out, throw, goes out in the first shift and hits Tavares. Who stands up? Nobody. Nobody. Why would they? He's only your captain. He's only one of your best players on your team. Nothing's getting done about the shots that are getting taken at the Leafs. And it's what is going to be their downfall again and again and again. Now, yes, Nazem Kadri was the guy. And yes, Nazem Kadri went AWOL in both series against Boston, the last two at least. I get it. But this team has got to find somebody somewhere that can play tough hockey and stick up for their teammates. Or find a way to get this team to buy in where they start doing it. Something needs to change. Something's going on in that room that someone needs to light a fire under their butts. Because this is getting stupid. If this team, if this team is really a Stanley Cup contender, look like it. Act like it. Show some sign of it. Because right now, the only sign they're seeing is the exit highway off, off the route towards the playoffs. And they'll be getting off and going to the golf courses in April. This team doesn't even deserve to be in the playoffs. This team looks so soft. Mentally, physically, and every aspect, they look soft. They may win this game night against Washington. It'll look great. People on the press are like, see, the Leafs are fine. No. Guys, this is game 14 of the regular season for them. You expect me to believe in 68 games, 
that if they continue to play the way they've been playing the last couple weeks, the first part of the season, that they're going to be an actual contender. They may make the playoffs. Don't get me wrong. But you expect me to believe that they're going to be a team that is feared by anybody? Where? Where's the fear? I don't see it. You? You put Jeff O'Neill, you give Jeff O'Neill skates, I'd trust him to make actually put more fear into the other team than anybody. My goodness. Let's get Kobe Armstrong off the off the judging board, battle the blades, and get him out on the ice. Then maybe teams will take us seriously. I don't know. Is Colt North coaching? Can we put some skates back on him? I don't know. I I just don't know. What the I mean, you yes, you can try to you can try to get a better backup goaltender. No, you can't. Not with the kind of cap situation the Leafs are in. You can try to get better defense. Well, what are you going to give up? You can try to bolster the penalty kill. How are you going to do that? When you're, yes, your top penalty killer is out right now, Zach Hyman. I get that. He'll be back soon, though. I don't, there's no real good answer right now, except you can look and try to fix some things. There's an egregious error right there. Having guys get hit get hit hard, and nothing getting done about it. Nobody's standing up for anybody. Nobody's holding the other team accountable. That can be fixed. That you can fix. For A, you could fix for cheap, or you could tell your players to figure it out. I get it. There's, this, this team has do not does not have a lot of size, and everyone's just screaming in their, whatever you listen to, your phone, your laptop however you listen to us right now you're screaming what about goat cheese what about all these guys i get it they have size they don't have they don't have tough size jake muzzin is your tough size and he's out right now cody cc's your tough size but he's he's not an nhl defenseman mikhaev still a little young goat cheese not strong on his skates at all it, it needs to be figured out. It needs to be figured out fast. Or else, guess what? I mean, we're going to... We'll keep talking about it. I don't know why, but we will just because, I mean, it's a big talking point. It's easy to talk about because people love to rant on stuff. I love to rant on stuff. But I don't want to rant on the fact that the Leafs are an embarrassment right now because they are not. They are a shell of what they could be. Now, what they should be, what they could be. And right now, the way they're playing is like a team that doesn't care. They're playing like a team that is there, you know, they're a talented team, but they're not going to do anything. They're not going to improve. They look like a team that is severely plateaued almost immediately. It's, it's just incredible. I, I don't know what to expect anymore. I don't even, this team maybe at the beginning of the year was a cup contender. But you saw an opening night. You saw the night after that, the night after that, the night after that, the night after that, even tonight. Team's not even close. With that said, we should probably wrap things up here. Thank you, folks, for listening to the Kill Podcast. Another great episode. Use the hashtag the Kill Podcast and tell us what you think on all of our topics today. Big injuries, big streaks. Bad play, no toughness, whatever you want to do. Whatever you want to talk about, use the hashtag the Cule Podcast. 
Tweet me at tweet us at the Kill Podcast. Tweet me at TJKU29. And tell me what tell us what you think about the lease. Tell us what you think about the Islanders. Tell us what you think about the Heritage Classic. Tell us what you think about the NHL possibly creating a women's league. Tell us all that good stuff, because we are interested. We are real we're curious. We're we want to know. We like to know. We love to know. Get at us. Get social. The Kill Podcast. We're all over it. Like white on rice. We're in there like swimwear. Any other cliche or any other dumb saying you want to use, use that. But always, always listen to us. We're glad we'll see you next week. We're pretty much going to keep doing it on Tuesdays because it's seeming like it works for us right now with the schedule that we both have. I know Alex, like I said, Alex was out with an injury tonight. Hopefully he'll be back next week right now. So, I mean, since we only do one show a week, he is week to week, week to week with an upper body injury. Well, We'll keep you posted on the Kill Podcast. But thank you, folks, once again. It is awesome that you guys listen to us each and every week. And even if you're a first-time listener or you'll only listen to us once and never again, if you only want to hear one topic of us, still, thank you very much. It is awesome to see you guys continue to listen to us, even though we're still on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen to us. Thank you very much, guys. We are... I mean, we just have fun doing this. This is something, I mean, we're not going to be superstars at this. We're not going to get jobs. We're not going to get put on the radio, but we have fun with what we do. And really, that's all we really can ask for. And we're just glad that people actually somewhat like us. Some of you do, at least according to SoundCloud and other places, some of you guys do. So, you know what? I mean, it's awesome. We here, we should, we will hit 100 episodes before the end of the season so or maybe by the end of the season we'll see because i'm trying to do math right now and i can't we have this will be track i think i'm looking at it now track 86 so oh i couldn't tell you exactly what time that's going to be trying i could do the math right now but it's looking like around trying to do right now february maybe which will be funny because that's be around the time i'll be getting married so it'll be the 100th episode, and I'm getting married, and I'm, we're probably not going to end up doing a show when I'm on my honeymoon. Maybe Alex will. I don't know. I don't know if he's up for doing a show by himself, but we will see. Thank you, folks, once again for listening to the Keel Podcast. Make sure you get us on social media and all that good stuff. We will see you, folks, next time. Thank you for listening once again to another episode of the Keel Podcast. Goodbye. Hold on a second here. Hold on. Okay, so clearly either the Leafs listened to the media or they somehow heard me from my apartment, but somehow, some way, the Leafs stood up for one of their teammates. Tom Wilson, of all people, runs Tyson Berry, hits him right in the back of the knee. Hopefully he's okay. He hobbled off. We'll, the Leafs will keep an eye on it. We'll keep you updated on there as well. But then, Freddie Gauthier comes over, and Austin Matthews just scored on the power play. Holy cow, they listen to me. They like me. They really like me. Freddie Gauthier stood up for stood up for Tyson Berry. Went after us. Went after him. Didn't drop the gloves entirely. It looked like it was just matching minors with Wilson getting the extra two for charging. But Freddie Gauthier, the guy that I said who never, ever, ever is physical, stood up for one of his teammates. And the Leafs, they pay off on it. It's an amazing event. I can't believe it actually happened. And the Leafs take the lead with it too. Huh. Okay. I had to get that out.
So clearly, Leafs may be getting tougher. Don't quote me on that. Maybe too soon to speak, but it's just one event. But literally, I was about to hit the submit button for this thing, but had to see it. I saw it. It was nuts. Hopefully, Tyson Berry's okay. But the Leafs scored after one of their teammates stands up for a fallen. Oh, my goodness. Hopefully, this becomes a trend. Anyways, once again, thank you guys for listening to the Kill Podcast. Let's, let's, get, let's get back to the, uh, the outro music. Take it away off of their heads. Yeah.